Yeah! <laughs> what is up, y'all? My name is John Devine, and I am welcoming you back to season two of the Healthy Wealthy People podcast. The show that educates on the three most important pillars of becoming a successful individual our health, our wealth, and our authentic expression of self. Now, before we get started, I would like to take a moment to personally thank you all for an incredible first year and ask that if the show has provided you any value, that you do yourself a favor by subscribing and your friends a favor by sharing the show with them. Now, let's get into it, y'all. Yo, what up, y'all? It's your boy, John Devine, welcoming you back to episode 31 now of the Healthy Wealthy People podcast. And I am wildly excited about today's episode. I am bringing you guys someone that many of you may know from watching The Voice a few years ago. We are bringing you none other than our own agent here at Divinity Group, Mr. Tommy Edwards, Tommy, say hello, brother. What is going on, healthy, wealthy people? Let's go. Excited to talk to you guys today. So Tommy and I have wanted to get on the mic for a minute, but as you guys know, with healthy, wealthy people, I want to make sure that I bring you something that you're going to be able to chew on, take away, and maybe implement into your own life. One thing Tommy has much like myself and every one of you out there, is a very unique story, which is great to come on and tell on the show. Um, but I wanted to find a way to leverage Tommy's story into a true teachable moment for everybody. And those of you who may not know, here's another announcement. Kelly and I are moving Divinity Group, our family, uh, and the Healthy Wealthy People podcast to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Um, Literally, we decided that like eight days ago, just came up, we talked about it, boom, lined some things out. So right now, Kelly and I are in the middle of a major life change. Uh, and on top of that, Tommy went from this massive musician chasing this dream, going on the voice, all this stuff. And there's this giant perception around Tommy of, what are you doing, man? Why'd you leave music? Blah, blah, blah. Tommy didn't leave music. Tommy made a change in his life that better supported what he was trying to do, at least in the now with his family, so that he could build a better future for himself. So Tommy's not out of music. Kelly and I are not out of the business that we're in. Changes happen, and I think what happens is when big changes happen in people's lives, people who watch from the outside make a ton of assumptions. On top of that, I think that there are a massive number of you that have something you want to make a change on and you're just scared to do it. So with me going through this big change, Tommy now being nine months into a big change, I think we have a good platform to talk about what I'm doing, what Tommy's doing, give you guys some relatable tips, things like that um, about those changes. And I said, I think some of you may have something that you want to make a change in in your life. I actually know. So I'm going to hit you guys with a statistic, and this strictly relates to your work, your job, all of that stuff. But really, what Tommy and I are really here talking about is a job um, that allowed us to make really big changes. 
So in the workforce in America, this is not anywhere outside of our own United States. There are 160 million people in the workforce. Of that 160 million people, 56 million Americans are dissatisfied with their work. Over 35% of every single one of you that's driving to work right now listening to this podcast is dreading showing up to that job right now. So that's a fact. Of that 56 million, 18.5 million of you Americans listening are willing to make a change this year. Okay, now that's talking a 12-month roll, not just before December when everyone's going to say they have their New Year's resolutions. Over the next year, 18.5 million of you are willing to make a change. Not you will make a change, but you are willing to make a change. So we got two people right here that have made some major changes, um, and we're going to try and connect with really all 56 million of you that are feeling dissatisfied, but especially the 18.5 million of you that are really willing to make a change like we've made. So, Tommy, take the mic, man. Just talk about some of the life shit you've been going through lately. What a ride the last nine months has been, man. You ain't fucking lying, bro. What a ride. You know, if you'd uh, if you'd have told me a year ago that I'd be sitting in this podcast room with John Devine talking about how I've been selling insurance for the last nine months, I would have laughed in your fucking face. And if we're saying selling insurance, that makes you think Tommy's just a run-of-the-mill salesperson. Tommy is fucking slaying selling insurance. He's like the number 39 ranked agent in the nation right now. And with what he just did this week, he's probably going to jump up to like 30. Uh, so the kid's a fucking stud in music and insurance. Let's just start there. <laughs> No, man, it's been uh it's been such a ride and the the craziest part to it is not that I'm selling insurance, it's that I love it and I found meaning and passion in it. And again, it sounds funny just saying that into a microphone, but it's been a it's been a beautiful ride, man. Thank you for bringing me on. Absolutely, brother. So, let's talk a little bit about kind of what everyone that's probably listening to this, especially your people, um, let's just start kind of addressing some of the things that we know for sure people are sitting around going, what the hell is Tommy doing? So a little bit about Tommy's background. If you don't know Tommy, Tommy's been performing music for 11 years and you're 29, 29. So Tommy's been doing this since he was 18. He yep. basically got out of high school, started singing on a mic. Somebody gave him some money to do it. And he was like, Fuck yeah, right? Yeah, this doesn't suck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So most people aren't really geared to be someone that can just start doing something and then 11 years later, especially when it's really the first thing they did, they're still doing it. So the first thing that I think you can teach people is like, what's kept you committed to music for 11 years? For sure, man. I mean, the the journey with music and how we got started um, was you know, relatively unexpected. You know, I moved to Montana when I was 18, fresh out of high school, uh, moved here from Hendersonville, Tennessee, where I grew up. And, you know, I've been coming here since I was a kid and just fell in love with the, you know, I wasn't really ingrained in the culture yet because I was just staying up at my aunt's house on the North Fork. And I thought that's what Montana was, you know, and that was it. I didn't yep. even know we had a Walmart. 
um, but I dug that, you know, yeah. you know, I'd spent time here my whole life coming up here. Um, you know, my dad's sister has a place up on the North Fork and that's where I family vacation. That was, this was our spot. And, um, when I was 17, my birthday present was to stay up here for a month and I just, I got to go pack my bag you know, backpack full of doobies and 12 pack of PBR. And I just kind of walked up and down the the river all day and fell in love with fly fishing and, um, started to meet a few people up here. And, you know, I turned, uh, 19 and my family moved up here and I was still going to college down there and going to college is a loose term, by the way. I mean, (laughs) I mean, I was enrolled and I went every now and again. You Um, showed up on campus every once in a while. Yeah. The world, uh, the world of ideas wasn't, uh, wasn't exciting to me yet. Yeah. Um, and I was like, man, what do I got left for me here? And, uh, you know, I've got beautiful friends and I still maintain those friendships there, but, yep. uh, there was something calling me here and moved up here and, you know, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. Um, we were living in Lakeside. I was living with my parents. Um, we just made this big change and picked the whole family up, moved to Montana. Um, you know, I didn't know anybody here and I remember walking down to the, the the docks was the restaurant in Lakeside and yep. begging a uh, Mike for a job down there. And if you guys remember uh, Peg Leg Mike, rest in peace. <laughs> um, but I remember going in and just bugging him day after day for a job and uh, going down there. And there was a band playing one night and uh, Billy Angel was playing on stage. And I'd never really played on stage. I mean, one time like opening up for my dad's band that he did for fun in Tennessee. Okay. And uh, I was literally covered in grease and food from cooking in the kitchen. Yeah. And I'd been working there for a little while. Mike was like, get your ass out there on the mic. I was, Oh shit. Oh shit. And went and sang a song with Billy Angel and I uh, got my first taste of playing on stage and what a rush. Damn bro. What a rush, man. So did you play like at home? Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up, my dad played music always for fun. Yeah. Right. I mean, I have vivid memories of him sitting by, the bed when my brother and I would go to sleep and every night he would play us the same two songs. It was shit town by stained. Nice. He'd change the, he'd change nice. the lyrics to this town. I remember being fucking shocked when I heard it on the, um, on a, we had this hundred disc CD changer at our house and that CD came on. And I remember the lyric being shit town and being looking at him like, you lied to me. My life is a lie. <laughs> my life is a lie. Dad. Um, but you know, it's, it's always been ingrained in me. My okay. obviously, uh, you know, if you guys have uh, have seen us play, you know uh, how incredibly talented and uh, awesome my pops is, and mm-hmm. um, you know, getting a, just from as far as I can remember, you know, he had his guitar and he would he would always do it for fun. Yep. And I just I saw the passion, I saw the just feeling, and, mm-hmm. and always drawn to it. Started singing with him for, I mean, I can't think of a time where I didn't at least I wasn't singing along and yep and all that got started doing it and. Yeah, just what a ride. Yeah, man. And for any of you who've watched Tommy uh, or Tommy Sr. Uh, play, it's unbelievable. That was my real first taste of Tommy. Like, I had heard of Tommy. Um, Kelly loves live music. Um, so to- Kelly had watched Tommy a few times. And then Kelly and Tommy had met on a buddy of ours boat. Um, and they kind of knew of each other. And then one of our friends, uh, Nathan Garber, He's always sponsoring events and stuff, and he bought a table at one of Tommy's um, concerts at, I think it was a fundraiser, and he couldn't be there, so he gave the table to us, 
And so we're like the front and center table. I'm like watching, I'm taking video. Uh, then, you know, Tommy and his dad are playing and then his brother comes up and starts singing with them. And I was just like, who the fuck is this family of studs out here just ripping music, dude? Like everyone, the brothers involved, the dads involved, moms in the stands clapping and crying. There's babies running around, wife's out there. I was like, this is fucking cool. So that was my first taste of like your guys' music, but the passion that you felt from your dad, I know everybody out in the stands feels it from you guys because it's palpable. That's what it's about, man. That's what it's always been about for me. It was just, it's never been about being the cool guy on stage, never been about the clout. I just, you know, I can sing music in my living room for mm-hmm. everyone to listen, right? And I enjoy that. But, there's something special about getting in front of people and when you can feel something so deeply, I never really had to work at that. Mm-hmm. Right. Music just always made me feel deeply where I can just roll my eyes in the back of my head. And, you know, I do mostly cover songs, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm writing now, but I've done mostly cover songs. And I think that's why I've been so drawn to like nineties grunge and mm-hmm. kind of that darker side of music. Um, Cause it makes me feel deeply. And that just, that part came easy, man. I just, Got up with my guitar and sang and let it make me cry. And then when you open your eyes and that emotion that you're feeling, somehow you have transferred into some person in the audience and opened my eyes with a tear in it after playing this heavy, heavy, dark song. And that person out in the crowd is feeling that too. And went, yeah, that's, that's meaningful. That's, if that ain't fucking purpose. I don't, I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is a few people have uh, asked me, like, you know, what made you hire Tommy? Um, And we'll get into this in a little bit. Uh, But when Tommy reached out originally, I knew I didn't have to interview. I was like, whatever this boy wants, like, I will talk to him because I've seen him play that music and I've seen that emotional transaction. And sales, especially, like, real sales with a real product that like really means something, not just like your new Gucci bag or whatever, but like real sales is an emotional process. And that's the hardest part for people is being able to sit, emote, let other people emote, connect with that emotion and then be like, yeah, bro, I feel you. I'm I'm here. I can help that skill right there. Highly, highly underrated. And I knew you had it better than almost anyone I'd probably ever met. And so when you were like, Hey man, I think we should talk. I was like, I fucking agree. Yeah, I think we should. <laughs> Cause I just saw it wasn't about sales skill. It wasn't about like, I think this guy can build a business, which I didn't know the inner workings of how involved you were in the music business, which we will also get into. Um, for me, it was just, I can see this dude and it's not just one-on-one. He's connecting with a crowd of people. Everyone out here is crying. He's crying. He knows how to communicate emotionally. That's a skill most people don't have. So that's what I saw in you is just like, God damn, this boy can cut through and get to people at their heart, at their soul, at their. So if we can teach him how to do that with really any product, game over. And sure enough, <laughs> game fucking over. <laughs> well, it's been fun, man. That's where, like, when I made that comment at the beginning that, you know, if you'd have told me a year ago, I'd laugh in your face if you'd have told me I'd, I'd be selling insurance where like what I do because the product of what we sell is good you know we don't have to hide anything we literally just show people what this is 
like the entire job is literally just connecting with other people mm -hmm. and bringing people to an emotional state because what we do solves a real problem. Yep. Um, and it's a heavy problem. Heavy. And through years of music, that's just given me the tools to, to be able to be in that space and it's not uncomfortable. Yep. Right. Like I can sit across the table from somebody and go, man, like, do you have a plan? Like three of my grandparents went through cancer and it was brutal. And you know, if you went through something like that, what is it, what is that going to look like for you? Mm -hmm. And we're, most people are both squirming at yep. the place where I'm just like, Hey, it's okay. Like, let's just figure it out. Yep. Right. Um, and it's been a cool, it's just been a cool transition and grateful for the years of music and just being able to connect emotionally and mm -hmm. trying to, well, most days anyways. Yes. <laughs> I'd be an asshole like anybody else. <laughs> we all can. <laughs> so for those of you who are like, what the fuck are they talking about? Uh, what we do here uh, at Divinity Group, uh, Divinity Group is my agency here. Um, we sell third party for a company called Global Life Family Heritage Division. They are a supplemental insurance company. Um, we do supplemental insurance better than any agency out there. Um, we specialize in four products, cancer, accident, heart attack, strokes, and intensive care stays. Um, and our whole purpose is that if one of those things happen, the likelihood of it bankrupting your family is very, very high. So rather than pay your medical bills or whatever for you, when you go through that seriously struggle time of like my husband's in the hospital or my kid's in the hospital, now I can't work, my husband can't work, blah, blah, blah. We just keep tax-free cash rolling into you um, so that you can keep your bills and your life afloat, not worry, not stress. And then if you never need it, we give all your money back. So I've got a lot more details on that in – we're deep now. I don't remember what episode it is, but it's called A Career with Global Life Family Heritage Division where I interview another one of our agents, Eddie Mayfield. Oh, um, and banger episode. It's a good episode, man. Yeah. And all we talk about is the business. So if you're curious, go listen to that. Um but yeah, that's kind of why I was able to be like, Tommy could do this. He could come and connect with people um, about this serious shit, cancer, heart attack, accident. He's willing to put himself and his emotions and his family's story on the table. He does it on stage and be like, this is our story, our life. Like, what about you? Um, and so when he reached out, I was like, absolutely. Um, so I didn't know a lot of this when he reached out. As far as I knew, he was just a musician, right? Um, but Tommy's built and been in and led and run three bands uh, and has done four years of event promotion with a company that him and his brother founded called 46 Presents. Uh, so it wasn't just the music. Tommy then started being like, if I'm going to actually make this thing and pursue this thing, I got to get into the business of it. So talk about the business of music. For sure, man. So, you know, I first started to see it like I didn't have any background um, in business, really. Right. My dad, um, he's always been an ass kicker. Right. I never saw like the inner workings, but he was in commercial banking um, when we moved to Montana. Um, he got the gig as the vice president down at Eagle Bank at Polson, and he just always excelled. Right. He was always an ass kicker, but never entrepreneur. Right. And so this whole idea of I can just go do a thing. Like I don't have to go like apply for a job. Yep. I can just do this thing was, was given to me through music where I moved up here. I met Luke Lauderay from Marshall catch. He introduced me to Lisa at the Raven and I got my first gig and I'm like, Whoa, 
okay, I just I just did this thing I like to do, and I just got money in my pocket to do it. Yep. And I didn't need anyone else's permission. I didn't yep. need um, a guideline. I didn't need anybody telling me what to do. Mm-hmm. I just I got some speakers. I went. I did the thing. That was fun. Made money. Um, and I remember at the time I was, I mean, I was kind of bouncing. It's a seasonal place living in Montana, right? I was bouncing back and forth between restaurants. I worked at a seasonal restaurant and, um, the restaurant closed and I took this job doing construction because I've got, you know, a new kid and freaking the fuck out going, how am I going to support this family? I'm living with my parents in their basically basement. 20, 2015. How old were you? 22, 23? Yeah. 20, when she was born? Yeah. I was, I don't even know, mass hard. Um, so you're young. I was super young. Yep. Um, didn't have a clue. You know, we had a surprise Hayden. And surprise! Yeah, man. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. But, For sure. Um, I went, what the hell am I going to do? You know, I'm working this construction job and I remember um, hated the construction job, didn't really like the guys I was working for, and I was down in a crawl space. Um, I had a, my job was to dig a hole, like a four foot hole in a like foot and a half, two foot crawl space. Like my head's up against the boards. I barely got any room to move down there. And I'm like trying to dig this hole and foreman was an asshole. Usually. Yeah. I just, I walked out of there. I was, I remember vividly the moment where I'd played a couple gigs at the time and I'm like, I can make 150 bucks, 200 bucks in pay. And then. You know, if I can connect with the crowd, tips happen. Yep. I'm like, I'm doing 300 bucks a night or more doing something alike. I'm doing that. Fuck this. Yep. And I didn't quit because I didn't have any quit in me because I had a good father that <laughs> told me not to be a bitch. Good. You know? Yep. Um. So <laughs> quitting probably would have been better. Um, but I just, that's what I would have done. I just, stopped, I just stopped showing up. And I was just like, this sucks. Yep. Um, and then I just dove in. I remember looking at Brianna going, I got to find a way to do this. And I just started looking around, asking questions and the business of music. Like I just slowly started to see, and I got to give so much, so many props to my dad for this because we would play gigs and he would always preach, do the things that the other guys won't do. Right? Yep. Musicians are infamously known for starting 15, 20 minutes late. Yep. Not showing up at all, being totally unorganized, mm-hmm. um, getting just blasted and not doing your job, just being fucking musicians. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, how do I do this better? Right. And we would always show up 15 minutes early and play 15 minutes late. And, I realized, and this is a big, uh, Luke Lauderay was a big guy that um, taught me this kind of stuff where, like, look, man, your value to a bar is, at the end of the day, you can be Led Zeppelin and come to a bar, but if you bring one person and they don't, and they drink water all night. No, no value. There's zero value. Like, that bar has no value in you being there. Yep. It doesn't matter how good you are. Mm-hmm. Right? And I don't know how intentional it was at first because I liked people, but we built that thing through relationships with people. Like we would play and we would have that cry moment and connect with someone. And then on break, I would go out and shake their hand and be like, Hey, I'm Tommy. What's your name? Oh, you're Keith. It's great to meet you. And before you know it, they're coming to three gigs a week, bringing their families out. And I know their kids names and we built this, this following, but 
saying following feels weird because they were like genuinely my friends. Yep. Like I started to get to know them and I've met, I mean, pretty much every person I know in this valley. When I come up and hug someone, I like genuinely mean it. And mm-hmm. like, goddamn, we have this connection and we like the same music and I know your kids. And um, what a beautiful thing there. And, you know, fast forward years and been doing the bar scene for a long time as we start to dig into the the business side of it. And I've been playing bars for years and realizing this is a lot with a young family, mm-hmm. right? No Playing doubt. The business model really requires, like, you're kind of capped out as a solo artist. Um, we're lucky here where bars see the value in music and pay a solo duo act pretty decent to play. Cool. And you're kind of three, five hundred bucks a night, right? If you're grinding. Yep. Um, if you got two people, then you're splitting it and you're two fifty a night. And the bar scene was amazing and I'm so grateful for it. But after years of doing it, I think any any full time musician can relate to this where it's good for you to learn the skills, but getting over a bar full of people that are there to have dinner and talk with their friends and like getting them to engage is a grind. Yeah. Every day you got to just show up at a hundred percent and looking around the room constantly trying to find something to connect with people. And I still, I still enjoy it, Yep. but so many nights where it's just, you, you can't get them. They're there. It's a bachelorette party. They want to hear don't stop believing and sweet Caroline. And yeah. I would just rather get kicked in the balls. <laughs> right. <laughs> so event promotion. Okay. Right. That's where event promotion comes in. And I really started seeing the music business. Okay. Um, so my brother and I kind of teamed up. Um, I don't know if you guys know Josh Edwards. He does hip hop. Um, he's kind of been the different guy in the family and did hip hop music. And he built his own thing, right? I mean, he's he had a huge following with his crowd here. And he is more of the business guy than I ever was, right? He saw it. And how do we build this thing? Because he's looking at, in rural Montana, how to build a hip-hop following and throw hip-hop shows here. Good luck, when bro. most people look at him and they just hate him instantly because the way he dresses. Yep, I understand that. Right? Um, and so we team up and... We're like, all right, let's let's throw our own event. We don't we don't need to borrow. We don't need somebody else to pay for us or pay us to come play. Yep. And I remember we rented out the Hilton Garden Inn, and we uh, I was playing in Comatose Posse at the time, and we're like, let's do this thing. Rented out the Hilton Garden Inn, um, built a brand, right? Got a logo done, and learned how to run Facebook ads. Just there's so many moving parts, right? Where you just gotta business. You just gotta dive in and just figure it figure it out, man. And what a fun ride. So many sleepless nights staying up till five in the morning. How do we set up this Facebook ad? How do we sell tickets? How do we go get the $25,000 it's going to cost to actually put this thing on? Because when we haven't got $25,000, right. how do we do that without... Mid-20s, Montana. Figure it out. Go find sponsors. Go convince the sound guy that, hey, I believe in this. This is going to happen. I need you to come show up, run sound, and you're getting paid after. Yep. Right? And And make that happen. And then it worked. Almost always works. And then it worked. It almost always works. Like you just gotta do, right? Yep. Um, and that's what I love about you is like even here, like you just do. Like your process here in the last nine months has definitely not been perfect, but you're 
top producer in the entire country because you just do. You learn as you go. You keep doing You don't try to overcomplicate it. You're like, fuck, I know how to do this piece. I'll do this. I'll figure out the rest as I go. We have phone calls. We chat. But, like, that's the problem with most people is when they're looking at making a change, when they're looking at starting a music um, uh business when they're getting into event promotion when they're looking at getting into music period when they're anything starting a new business making a personal move like all of the things that come is like people just won't go do it and start and learn and like you do that right which is why you've seen success at such a high level so you learn the art you learned the business uh and then you pursued it as like holy shit, this is a real thing. I can make something out of this. And you went so far as to apply and get accepted and compete on The Voice, which is, I mean, I don't want to say the top of the music game. The top of the music game would be, I don't know, being a signed artist or something like that or having your own label that's big, successful, whatever. But that is kind of the like pre, right? It's the stepping stone to the dream, right? It's that platform that puts you in front of millions and millions and millions of people so why did you pursue that and kind of what was that journey like for sure and that's where you know making it on the voice was a total fluke um you know i'd had this this mindset which i don't think is in the least bit healthy um that doing that was um, not a waste of time, but I, you know, I'd heard the horror stories like, oh, they own your ass, you know, if you go on the show and you got to sign this contract. Or it's like, man, I'm playing for 200 bucks in the corner at 406 Bar and Grill. Like them owning my ass would be better than what I'm doing right now. Right. And I, I'd be, I'd be doing this to the masses. Um, and again, that sounds like I wasn't grateful for what I was doing because I yep. fucking am. Um, and finally, I just had uh, some good friends of mine, John and Cheryl Fetvite. Um, she just she got got to me one night after uh, the four or six bar and grill and was just, if you don't sign up for the voice, I'm gonna sign you up for you. <laughs> and so I went home, made a made a little profile, uploaded a video, and just kind of forgot about it. And <laughs> I shit you not, I signed up. Whenever I signed up, it like used my Facebook email for some reason. Yep. Which I had like no access to. Yep. And so, like a year later. For whatever reason, I'm sitting in my living room and something caused me to log into that email and like reset the password and figure out how to get back into it. And I open the email and I, there's like a four day old email from a producer from NBC's The Voice. And I'm like, this is a scam thing or right. something. I open it up and start reading it and it looks pretty legit. And they're like, hey, we saw your submission and we'd love for you to come try out. Um, and... I kind of just freaked out. I'm like, this is real. I don't think it's real. This, this seems like an Indian fucking warehouse thing. Um, and sure enough, I called John and Cheryl. I'm like, I just got this email. Um, I think this is real. Like, I think they want me to come out to Salt Lake and come try out. And yep. sure enough, I told them, or I think my dad told them and John being John was like, oh, okay, well, uh, we're going and you're going. And uh, I bought your ticket already and I'm coming with you. <laughs> And John flew me down there, went and did it. And you get to this uh, this recording studio. They have multiple studios set up in it. And I get there thinking this is going to be like this very special thing where it's like just me and a couple other people. We get these private auditions. I get there and there's a line out the door of other people that they found. And 
it was just like a cattle call. I mean, just one person after the next. And I'm like, there's no way they're calling me. I got in there. I did I did all right, you know. Okay. But, I mean, I was nervous, like, cotton mouth as soon as I yep. got up there in front of the producers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, there's no way they're calling me. I mean, there had to have been 100 people before me, and there's 100 people after. And didn't hear anything for a couple months, and then I get a phone call saying, you're coming to L.A.? Damn. Nuts, man. So you got peer pressured into going on The Voice. I did. <laughs> it worked. It worked. Thank you, Cheryl. <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) Oh, there's so much good stuff in there. Number one is when you're thinking of making a change or chasing a big goal or whatever, like the default of humans is negativity, uh, right? I've taught a part on this and I should actually do um, a podcast on this, but uh, it's called Ants, Automatic Negative Thoughts. And like 80-something percent, I'm not going to say the actual number because I don't have my stats in front of me, but... Over 80% of our thoughts every day are negative and they're automatic because we don't necessarily control the majority of our thoughts. Our brain is just going on autopilot. And so somebody who got on The Voice didn't think they would even have a chance on The Voice, right? And so we like talk ourselves out of shit more often than not. But one of the default things that you can do as a human being is you can lean into your people, into your support system, into your fans, into your friends, into your whatever, because most of the time, people see way more in us than we see in ourselves. For example, one of my mentors and role models here at this company, his name is Eric Shannonberger. He's our division vice president of the entire company. He's one of two division VPs. And uh, we've spent some time together, and he's talked to me, uh, and he knows my story, and I still have a bit of a chip on my shoulder, even after six years of therapy. And so I'll explain myself sometimes as like the orphan child or the abused child or the whatever that's still in there. Right. And it's like, I don't think that I'm performing that way. Also the high school dropout, like just the person who probably shouldn't be where I am or in the crowd that I'm in. Um, And just recently, I'm talking like two months ago, I was down in Texas with him. Uh, and we were just BSing and I said something just kind of like passingly, like joking about that. And he like smacked me and he's like, bro. And I was like, what? And he's like, when are you going to stop identifying as this previous version of yourself? Because none of us that have met you in the last three, five, ten, like none of us see that. Like it only exists to you. Like what we see is, and he starts explaining this of like where I'm going with my career and our team and personal and my family. And it was this moment of like, oh, I should probably put some of those beliefs and things that I say about myself and things that I think would hold the typical person back or whatever. I should probably stop saying those things. Um, And so one of the biggest things when making a major change in your life is don't listen to everyone. For sure, because some motherfuckers are either just going to be jealous or pissed off or Debbie Downers or whatever. So you got to listen to the right things. But more than often, there's people in your corner that see the potential in you. And potential is literally one of my least favorite words because I just like it makes this version of me feel inferior where I'm like, okay, so I'm not everything I could be. But then again, there's a lot to work for. But those people in your corners that give you words of advice, that push you, that buy plane tickets for you, that say apply for that thing, 
make that jump, do that thing. Um, those are the people that you want to listen to because they, for some reason, have some insight or have some vision or can see in you things you can't see in yourself. And those people are the ones that if you listen to, they'll help you make these big life changes. They'll buy you a fucking plane ticket to get you where you want to go. But other people will definitely grab you, hold you down. And the big life change that Kelly and I are making right now, which we'll get into in a minute, is our big move that we've decided to do to go to Coeur d'Alene. Um, but it's been very interesting the amount of people who have reached out and like made it about them. Like, oh my God, no, I was going to miss you, blah, blah, blah. And then the people who are like, fuck yeah, bro. Like, that's sick. I can't wait to come visit you in Coeur d'Alene. We love Coeur d'Alene. We're gonna, we always go to Triple Play or Silver Mountain. You're right there. That gives us more reason to be there. We can work together. My buddy Dave, who's always boating with me. I was like, fuck, man. I spent so much time with Dave. He's like my best friend out here. I was like kind of nervous to tell him. And I told him and he was like, boy, I've been wanting to surf on Lake Coeur d'Alene for years. <laughs> He's like, I'll have the boat over there stat. Like, just listen to those people that are excited for you because it like distance doesn't matter to them. They're like, I'll fucking fly, drive, whatever. Like, go do your thing, bro. If you don't have friends that celebrate with you, you got the wrong fucking friends. The wrong fucking friends, bro. So whoever these people were that believed in you, man, like that changed the kind of course of your life, your career, what you were doing. It literally did, man. That shit's wild. So if you guys have people in your corners, you got to, and this is hard for people, you got to cut one loser friend. And by loser friend, I don't mean like he's a piece of shit or whatever. I just mean like humanity and this life, everything, nature, it's all about growth and development, right? Like literally, if you're not growing, you're dying. If you're not getting bigger, you're shrinking. And there's a lot of people that like they've capped out, which means that life that they've chosen to like cap out, like that's it for them. You can't expect that friend who can't see that for themselves to see that for you. All they can see, obviously, is this life that they have for themselves. And so if you start talking and you're honestly one of the biggest parts of their life because they've stopped growing and now you're going to talk about making a change that will in some way, shape or form mean less time with them or a different state from that. Like if they start saying, no, 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 no. It's because they're not used to change. You're now making a change. You're a steady part of their life. And it's they're scared of what it's going to do to their life, right? So when I say loser friend, I don't mean like some druggy bum, whatever. I just mean somebody who's literally going to scratch and claw to hold you back because they're holding themselves back. And then grabbing one friend that's willing to pay your fucking plane tickets to go make your dreams come true. Like, hey, bro, I got extra money. Don't let this be an excuse on why you're not going to do this. Here, go make your dreams come true. Like you need a shitload of those friends, they're just harder to come by. So shout out to what were their names? John and Cheryl Fitbite. John and Cheryl Fitbite, Thank man. Y'all saw something in the boy, and I get it. Um, so after the voice, really that should have been the stepping stone of like, hey, the next step is whatever. Um, and from our conversations and from apparently what people have said that is true, like those shows that's all on you, right? Financially? For the most part, man. Like, I mean, I got there and was excited to go, but I started looking at the logistics of it and I damn near didn't go because 
I got a wife and two kids, man. Like it's the most important thing in my life. And I don't know a goddamn thing about money. Right. I learned how to make it quickly with yeah. music and I got lucky. Um, not lucky. I worked fucking hard. Yeah. Um, but I'm looking at the logistics of this thing and I'm about to have to go to LA for three months. You ain't getting a paycheck. <laughs> right. Right. Like they don't, they don't pay you to be there. And every time you strum a guitar, it. I mean, there was a hundred of us there. I mean, it would have been a crazy expensive production. Yeah. Um, but you know, they pay for you to be there. They pay for your hotel room. Like I honestly don't have any, almost zero negative things to say about the voice. It was a beautiful experience, but it's kind of like this, what we do where like, yeah, your medical bills are paid, but you're out of work for three months. I've first time that's, I think that's why I connected so deeply with this. Cause I didn't, I didn't work. I mean, I left there in, I left home in May, came home for a week after I made team Blake and I was right back there until August. And yeah. if it wasn't for my support system, like my dad, Aaron Fetvite, Joel Fetvite, um, chance, all those guys, they literally stepped in and played all the gigs for me. Cause we had, I had a summer full of gigs. I booked yep. a year in advance yep. for all my shows yep. and they went and played all those gigs let me keep half the money, and they just split up the rest. I mean, I could not have done that without those guys. Damn. Like, I couldn't have done it. Again, support system. Again, like, have friends that believe in you, and yeah. they're celebrating, I got you fucking back. Damn. Um, I got good friends. You yeah. should have good friends. <laughs> no shit. Um, I, I couldn't have done it. And even with that, I mean, we racked up a hundred grand in credit card debt in like that. Because I got home from The Voice, and then it was the... You got to strike while the iron's hot. Yep. And I grabbed my brother. I was talking to my brother back and forth, and um, I grabbed every book on the industry while I was there. Capitalize. I asked every question to – there's a lot of people there that have been through. Like, Wendy Moten was staying in the room across from me. Damn. And I'm like, girl, you've been doing this for 25 years. Been Vince Gill's backup singer. She was, like, a number one charting artist in the 90s. And what do I do? Like, if I want to – like, what's next? I have no clue. Right. And nobody's, there's really no like blueprint playbook. Yeah. There's just not, wing it. It's not, I mean, and so I started to look at the, the next routes. I grabbed every book on the industry and started reading about the music business called my brother was like, Hey man, I'm going to need, I'm going to need some help. And I trust you with my life. Let's go. And he agreed, came on as my manager, um, got done with the voice. You know, it was kind of a, with that second episode, it got montage. Nobody even really knew what happened. Yeah. Um, but got home and me being me, I'm going, okay, let's run. Let's, let's just go action over overthinking and let's take this next step. And the more and more I dug into it, there's at least in my mind, I could have this wrong, but there were two routes for me. It was, you can build a grassroots movement to do music, which is create really good art and get in a sprinter van and go play for free or dirt cheap just enough to make it to the next spot in your van yep. to go show people this music. Yep. Or you get a big investor, which is essentially a record label. Yep. Right. Cause I didn't have record labels knocking at my door. Uh, you know, I made it to round two on the voice and yep. got montaged. Right. Um, you got a video with 800,000 views on it, but it's not that, it's, it's not as big of a deal. There's a lot of videos out there with 800,000 views on it. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was grassroots or 
investor or our record label. And I went the investor route and I looked at it and it gets weird fast when you bring someone else into your, to your art. Cause essentially you're asking for, I need like, really you need like a hundred, 150 to do this in the way that I needed to do it because I have a young family. Yep. Like I can't just live in the van. If it was just me, I'll live in that van all day yep. and I'll just go. But that family is the most important thing yep. in my life. And I, I, I'm not just getting in a van and leaving them. So I'm looking at, I need an investor on board and let me, give me the time to create this art. Cause I fucking know I can do it. Um, let me create this art and then we need to market it and put my family in a bus so they can come with me and I can bring the whole family in on this yep. and really just take that leadership role and get everybody involved. Brianna is fucking brilliant and believes in me. I know she could take some roles on that. Yep. I know my dad, like I had this just dream Yep. and the investors don't come. And then you've been living on credit cards for four months real fast. It got real scary. Yeah, dude. Yeah. And learning that music business where there's really just those, those two routes other than going viral on TikTok, yep. right? Yep. And I could be putting social media content up too, but that, but that's work. It's a shitload well. of work. And that's why I pay Kelly. Pretty much like if I wasn't playing five nights a week, this shit don't float for long. Yeah. Right? And that's when I was like, man, I'm kind of, <laughs> I need to change. Right. I was looking for the mortgage company and that's when Angie Killian recommended me to you. Mm -hmm. And I went and listened to the healthy, wealthy people, which I'm sitting on right now. Wild. Full circle, um, less than a year. Yeah, man. And I listened to I listened to this podcast for for a week straight, and heard your story, and just heard what you were talking about on this podcast. And it wasn't so much the the business that you were talking about, as it was the the mindset mm -hmm. that I already was pretty bought into. Um, where we can do anything we want. The only yep. person in your way is you. Hundred percent. Right. And heard you talking about that. heard your backstory. And uh, I just, I, I knew I had to know. Right. And here we are. Yeah, man. Wild journey. And the more that you talked in depth about that right there, the more I just went, there are so many parallels between what you were going through and what we help people present. Yours was just, you were making a risk on a music dream, a business dream. Um, for most people, it's, they were taking a risk on, not being financially prepared to jump into medical devastation. Um, and then they're three months, four months in, they're taking out loans, they're putting more second mortgages on the house, they're selling cars, whatever, to try and just keep the family going. You were doing the same fucking thing, right? Um, and had you had some sort of financial backup, something, an investment account, an investor, um, alone, something, maybe that dream would have, uh, panned out. Um, and same thing with what we do, like people build their lives and then one, one little thing drops and all of a sudden they're looking for investors or loans or digging for equity or like, how the hell am I going to keep the family moving and keep fighting this fight? Yours was music. Most of the people we work with, it's cancer, accidents, something like that. So you just had a lot of parallels between like, I'm trying to make this thing work and I'm getting buried. Right. Um, and especially being a husband, a father, like now those are roles, um, that I know two little girls, uh, music runs nights and weekends. Right. And if you got kids, they're typically in bed by 
8 or 9 p.m. and you're probably just starting to close the set or the cl- set doesn't close till 10 or 11. Um, and so, yeah, you're just like getting pulled two directions, right? And it's like something's got to give. So for you temporarily, and this is what people um, in your warm market under, aren't understanding, the bigger dream of music and going on the road and all that stuff that dream got put on a bit of a back burner. You're still doing the music that everyone here knows and loves. Um, this change just allowed you to be more selective with times, shows, amounts of money people are willing to pay for shows, um, stuff like that. Um, and so when we talked, there was a major change you were looking to make. Number one, you were looking to do something else for the majority of your income than music. And you'd done a music for 11 years, right? So just to like even begin to bring your brain into a place of I'm going to in some way, shape or form change this so that I can make a shift over to this, whether that means stepping out completely, which he didn't do, or just being more selective and better with your scheduling. The fact that, You were having to go from, I mean, typically in music, people are coming to you. Like you said, you built a following that literally people would follow you to shows, bring their friends and family, but people are coming to listen to you play music. What I'm now going to teach you to do is go to people and be like, listen to me instead of (laughs) come listen to me, right? Like same thing, but just this different where you're the shark, you're the one going after them instead of being like, I'm here, come and see, come and listen. Um, even from like a financial standpoint of like, this is a commission only business and you've been in commission only business your whole life, but not, you haven't been brand new for 11 years. Yeah. Like there was a lot of fucking change and you were more willing and able when we talked, you were like, yeah, bro, this is a change that needs to happen. Um, that, I don't know how long it was for you even that you started contemplating change, but that couple of weeks or couple of months, like you had to be going through a lot mentally and emotionally. Like what the fuck was that process of finally detaching from this idea of what music was going to be and kind of committing to writing a new chapter of your life. Like, what was that like? So it kind of, it, it took me by surprise, right? And, and it's funny how, you know, we, we want to do this podcast because I hope, you know, me vomiting words into this microphone can bring some value mm-hmm. to, you know, you guys that are listening. And I remember being on the verge of of this change and really trying to figure out why I was feeling this way. And the, the biggest underlying foundation was it, it took me a while to see it, but I got so comfortable in just what I did, right? Like, this is what I do. I had my system. Gigs became like, I could get a gig really anywhere. I could call yep. anywhere. I knew what, I knew what my value was. I knew how to make a bar money. I knew how to leave them happy, but my kids Hayden, my oldest, started school, and that changed everything, right? Before, I was home all day with the kids, 
granted I was grinding and yep. you know not as present as I'd hoped to be, but yeah. but I was there. There. Yep. I was there all the time. How many dads get to do that? Yep. I had it so good. And all of a sudden she's in school. My job requires me to be out that door at four o'clock so I can still show up fifteen minutes early and set up my gear, play, and then I'm home around nine or ten after their bedtime. I mean, I was seeing Hayden for thirty minutes a day. Yep. Like that shit doesn't work, man. Like yep. if your family is the most important thing to you, like I very quickly went, This ain't working. And I needed something new. Um and that's when I found you. And seeing that change, like there was so much fear involved, right? And I think that's one of the big points that I hope to relate to you guys listening is every good thing that I've ever done, like every big, big thing that's made a big impact on my life, every change that I've made, I have felt an astronomical amount of fear. Mm -hmm. And uh, this book, The War of Art, that I read, um, he's a little kook. And he he's, is. A little, he's a little kooky in a lot sure. of it. But the the foundation of what he's talking about is very real to me, this term resistance. Like the more resistance you feel, the more thoughts that start attacking you, giving you every reason in the book not to go do this thing that, that you're being called to do and to, to make this change, the more of that fear and resistance you feel, if you can find a way to to recognize that and then go, that's good, mm. and then run towards that and just be a fear fighter and, and beat that back, that has not led me astray yet, right? And if you can find a way to beat back that fear and 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 realize that it's a good thing, that's what you should run towards. Agreed. If it makes you shake in your boots, go. Hmm. Yeah. I know you've heard that in a million different places. Mm -hmm. but. And it doesn't matter. If you've heard things 27 times, sometimes it's just hearing somebody else say it a different way that makes it click. Um, but yeah, I mean, fear is really the best way um, to say it. And I forget the woman. Uh, her name eludes me right now. Uh, but she does a whole part on fear. And I had a sales coach, um, Julia, out of Colorado that worked with me for like six months um, when I was dealing with a ton of fear in this career. Um, and fear with being a new stepdad and all that stuff. And between Julia and this other woman who gives us TED talk on fear, God, I can't remember her name, but basically the woman who gives the TED talk, she says, fear is a good thing. It's literally just a voice that says, Hey, there's potential danger up ahead. We don't know what this road looks like and knowledge of what the road looks like is what gives us that sense of safety. Like, Oh, okay. I know it's a safe road. I can see everything when we can't see it. There's an innate sense of fear, right? So like, let's take ourselves back to the caveman days. The cave is safe. I'm hungry. The food is outside of the cave. There's also danger outside of the cave. So there's going to be a little bit of fear that goes, Hey, you're going to step out of this cave, but like, don't be a jackass. Like you could get eaten just as well as you're looking for something to eat. So that fear is literally just to like alarm you of like, Hey, there's some shit up here that we might not be ready for. Like be ready. Like just be fucking ready. Be on your toes. Like 
We don't know what's coming down the pipeline. So she said the problem is people put fear in the driver's seat. And they let fear control the car, control the radio, control everything. Your job is to get in the fucking driver's seat and put fear in the passenger seat, put its seatbelt on, and go, I know you're scared. Your job is to be scared. I get it. It's a tool if you let it be. Right. Yep. But I'm fucking in charge here. We're going to be okay. Don't touch the radio. Don't touch any my steering wheel. Don't touch my... Don't fucking touch anything. Sit there and be scared. It's okay. It's like a kid. If a child was in your car afraid of driving for the first time, like, sorry, but that child's going to take that car ride. Like, we got to go to the doctor. We got to go to the grocery store. We got to get like, baby, it's okay. You can kick. You can scream. You can cry. I'm going to buckle you in. We're safe. You got to trust me. We're going to the fucking store, right? Like, fear is no different. It's just a kicking, screaming child. You got to buckle it in. And go, your job is to panic like this. I get it. My job is to drive the fucking car. So please don't touch anything. And then you drive down the road with that fear yelling, but you're like, that's your job. Okay, I'm alert. I get it. I'm alert. We're good. Right? But most people put fear in the driver's seat. They get in the passenger seat, and they don't touch anything. Fear doesn't know how to drive, dude. The car's not going to go anywhere. Like, fear's just like, cool. I'm in charge. We're not going anywhere. Like, that's why so many people end up stagnant and stuck. Fear is in the driver's seat. So, like, Kelly and I, we just made a major decision um, to move to Coeur d'Alene, as I said. When I took this job, I was a nomad, right? Like, between the military and the way I grew up, and, like, I never spent more than two or three years somewhere. I'd be like, fuck this. I want to try something new. And I'd go to a new town, go to a new city. Maybe I'd move there for a girl. Maybe I'd move there for a job. Maybe like, I just need an excuse to move. Right. So I would go, I would move. So I'm used to being on the road and I like it. Like I like starting fresh. I like not too many people knowing shit. Like I just like going and doing and not having friends and people that put fear in my head of like, are you sure you want to do that? Like, if you don't know me that well, like you're not going to give me your opinions of how I should run my life. But Kelly and I planted a flag here. We bought a house here. We started our family together here. Um, we built a business here. We've started a podcast here. A few years ago, we started a networking event here that saved uh, networking in the flathead during COVID. Um, like we've built some real, real, real relationships here. Um, and for me now, like I'm rooted, right? Like I've never really been rooted before. Um, and so we were in Coeur d'Alene and a decision we made that was better for our family recently was homeschooling. There was a lot of fear around that. That was at the end of the school year last year. We were like, this sucks just like you. Um, all of a sudden my kids used to go to school with their dad. And so I would grind Monday through Friday. And then I was pretty goddamn strict unless there was something major. I was off on Friday by like 4 PM. Then all weekend and on holidays, I was very intentional about not taking any kind of work, maybe one appointment here and there. So I would get all weekend with my kids, right? And we would play and we would go out and go to trampoline parks or go to Glacier. We'd go snow. Like we just had a lot of fun. Then we decided to take over the kids' school last year. And I'm a high school dropout. That was a fucking dumb idea, right? So we take them on. <laughs> They're going to school. Now we've got them Monday through Friday and I'm grinding Monday through Friday. And a lot of times I'm traveling to train agents. So I'm out of town Monday through Wednesday-ish, 
get back Wednesday. Maybe I make it home for dinner. Probably not. That means I get Thursday night dinner. And then Friday, they're on the road back to their dad's because now their dad has weekend schedule. So for a year, one or two dinners a week, and same thing. I was like, I already missed from zero to age three with Maya and zero to age five with Eden. Like, I, I can't keep missing time. Uh, so we talked about it. And we were like, homeschooling. Our job, our life, our, all of that affords for it. If we can find the right program, all that stuff. So we decided homeschooling at the end of last year. Homeschooling just fucking started. So when we were in Coeur d'Alene, it was our first family business trip, which was the whole point. I take a business trip, bring the family with. They can do homeschooling stuff. I can go to work. I can still be home for dinner at night with my kids. So we do that. The first night, Kelly's like, this is awesome. We love this area. We've always loved this area. You had a business mentor tell you if we ever wanted to scale for real, this is where we should be. We should move here. And as you guys know from previous episodes, um, we've made some major dietary changes in our life. And Kalispell, Montana, that they don't give a fuck. Ain't on board. No. Yeah. Meat, potatoes. Kelly's a pescatarian. Uh, and, you know, potatoes being really the only carb that anyone uses out here. Um, so we go over to Coeur d'Alene. We go out to this dinner. There's this whole gluten-free, dairy-free menu specifically for people with our dietary preferences. There's fit like Kelly can eat whatever she wants. She's all happy. The girls went to this giant library with all like literally a recording studio. Like I'm in, in a library for kids so they can learn podcasting or music or whatever for free. And so she just kind of was like, we should move here. And I was like, ha 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 ha. Yeah, we should totally move here. Yeah, that's cool. Let's operate our whole lives. And then and I was back and stuff for the last hour. <laughs> yeah. This is literally eight, eight, nine days ago, guys. And so I ended up staying another day for that business trip because we're running a giant training in two weeks that was already planned. And so I was like, well, fuck, we're already here. I might as well go out and do some cold calling and prep for that train more since I just trained this guy for a day. So I was like, hey, Kelly, we're going to stay for another day. Uh, I need to go get some work done. She was like, oh, I'm so excited. I wanted to stay another day. So then she's like, hey, we should go out and look at neighborhoods since we have the kids. If this is something we're going to talk about in the future, the kids should be involved. I was like, I agree. So we go look at some neighborhoods, and we love the houses, and the prices compared to the flathead are pretty much the fucking same. And we were like, well, that's interesting. So then Kelly's like, hey, I'm looking at apartments instead of homes since we were talking about renting the house out anyways. Like, maybe we could get settled. There's this apartment that's doing showings. Can we go look at an apartment? And we were literally on the way home after this day of work. I was like, yep, 3 p.m. on the way home. We can just swing off and look at this apartment. It's not going to be a big deal. We swing off, look at the apartment. We were not going to do anything under the three-bedroom. There's three of us. We're not going backwards. We're going forwards. Um, it needed to be the right price point, all that stuff, the right community, blah, blah, blah. It was everything we wanted and more. But then I've got girls that are getting into their preteen years. So I was like, there's no fucking way. If we do this, we're living in the third floor. Or excuse me, the first floor. We have to live in the second or third floor um, because I've got young girls that might forget to close their blinds. And now they're changing and there's fucking people out in the courtyard looking at my daughter through the window. I was like, we're not fucking doing that. So there was no third floor apartments available. I was like. Perfect. This isn't even a conversation. 
literally while we're fucking in there talking to one guy, this woman comes out and she like pulls him aside. Apparently they had this big thing. Somebody who was supposed to rent their third floor apartment on September 1st called and had some family change and they only needed a two bedroom, not a three bedroom. And so we were literally done looking at the two bedrooms and we were headed home and he's like, we have a three bedroom available if you want to go look at it. And we were like, yeah, let's at least just look at the floor plan. We go up, we look at it. And I'm like, so what's the date on this? He's like, last possible move-in date would be September 5th. We have a training for fucking 14 agents on <laughs> September 11th. I was already going to go back over there and spend $2,000 on a hotel and conference rooms and all that stuff. And the rent at this apartment was 1800 So I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. And I was like, all right, mathematically, this all makes sense. But we still have a whole life back home. Damn it, it all makes sense. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, how much is it to hold the apartment? 200 bucks. Nothing for us. So I was like, cool, hold the apartment. I need to go think about some things. We come home. We needed a property manager. We needed all kinds of things. We needed to be able to get out of our lease at the office. We needed so many fucking things to line up that I was like, it is impossible that any of this is going to line up. And if one thing doesn't line up, we can't make this happen. Thing after thing after thing after thing after thing kept lining up. And I was just like, God damn it. And so I obviously, A, had a bunch of fear about just uprooting my whole life that I just spent seven years building. B... I've got so much shit going on between the podcasts, the business, the trainings, the travel, my kids were now homeschooling, all this shit. Like adding a fucking move on top of that is the dumbest goddamn thing I could have done. And so, yeah, lots of fear about just initially, why would we do this? Then everything started lining up and the fear got way bigger. I was like, no, 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 I need something to be on my side of this isn't going to work. And nothing was coming on my side. And so now I'm like, fuck, this is turning into something that Kelly's like, see, look, everything works. So then the fear's like, fuck, my wife wants this. I said in passing, like, yeah, totally. We should definitely do that. Thinking it would be a year or so away. And things just started lining up. And motherfucker have I been stressed the last week trying to keep everything balanced, work, grow, move, this, that, the other. But what I kept reflecting back to was four or five years ago when my mentor was talking to me about what I wanted out of this career. When he originally hired me, he told me I could work anywhere at any time, no questions asked. And I was like, that's my dream. Freedom and flexibility. I can go where I want, do what I want. No one's going to interrupt my life. Perfect. So that's the reason I came here really, right? It was just like I could do what I wanted to do. And then I had this opportunity that came up that was like, hey, your family wants to make that. My kids wanted to make the move, which was not expected. My wife wanted to make the move. I love the area. I didn't necessarily want to move, but like, yeah, if I was going to move anywhere, Coeur d'Alene is just like the flathead. So I was like, yeah, it's just bigger. There's better opportunity. So the reason that I came here was literally being presented to me like, Hey, bitch, this is what you said you wanted when you came here in this career. And here's this golden opportunity. Start a third company. You now have a rental company for your 
home that is now on the rental market. Like this is literally all of your plans, everything, and still massive amount of fear. Right. What was the what was the resistance you felt? Like I'm one of the Flathead Valley's 20 under 40. Everyone here knows me. I've been on television for two years here with a client of mine doing uh, their car commercials. I walk into more businesses, kind of like you with music, and people are like, hey, you're the car guy, right? And I'm the fucking insurance guy. But I'm like, you recognize me. Like, people know me. Fucking people call Kelly the mayor of Kalispell all the time. Kind of established brand. and Yeah, like our company was the uh nominated the second best insurance agency in the valley i was nominated the second best insurance agent um like we just built something real here we've got friends my therapist is here my um uh chiropractors are here like my primary physician is here my kids dentist like our life is fucking here and like let's go start all that over again yep. right like why would I shoot myself in the foot like that? And that's part of the problem is looking at it like shooting yourself in the foot instead of looking at it like it's the fear you built yeah. that here. What the fuck could you build in a place that has four times the population? It's exciting to start over in that. Yeah, it really is. And that's made doing this job. So, so exciting. Was, I have no fucking clue what I'm doing. So out of my comfort zone. Let's go. Exactly. And even on the voice, you were nervous, right? Oh God. Yeah. And that, I teach this to agents all the time and I'm literally balls deep in it right now of fear and anxiety and excitement feel the exact same way emotionally and physiologically, right? We get the sweaty hands, our heart starts beating like crazy, our hair on our arms starts standing up. We get that tingling down our spine of like, if we're fearful and nervous, danger is near, right? But if you listen to pro sports, pro athletes, um, pro snowboarders, even musicians, the interviewer at the end, after the game, after the show, after, oh my God, blah, blah, blah. When you were up there on the podium getting ready to start, when the kickoff happened at the game, uh, right before you started singing, like, what were you feeling? That's what everyone wants to know. What were you feeling? Were you nervous? And most of the pros snowboarding i'll use that example because i like their voice and we're on uh podcast right now but let's say we're talking about a snowboarder were you nervous before you dropped into the half pipe oh no dude i was mad excited dude we were gonna fucking drop in rip it i knew what moves i was going for i had it all laid out it turned out exactly how i wanted it to dude i'm just glad i got the gold like <laughs> excitement and nervousness and fear feel the exact same way so most of the time you could be misinterpreting excitement as fear. And I think that was part of it for me because, again, I'm a nomad. I'm used to traveling. I'm used to starting over. I'm used to starting new. I like it. But now that I've put down roots, what is probably excitement of like, dude, we get to do this again. I've now built this root in this community where instead of listening to that voice, I'm listening to the voice of, bro, you got to start over. You got to find a new chiropractor. You got to find a new therapist. Fuck, this is going to be a lot of work. It's tough. You're starting over with a business. No one in Coeur d'Alene knows the name Divinity Group. Like, what are you doing? So we all have that fear, especially right before a big change. Um, but Tommy and I have put together a little bit of lists um, here of six things. Six things that we think happen from the moment of inception of a new idea of like, I think I want to do this. I think I want to chase this thing to doing it. 
right? So really pursuing making that big life change, taking that first step, taking that leap. Um, and I think the first thing is just trust your intuition, right? Trust the timing. So for me, my intuition was saying, move to Coeur d'Alene. My wife and her intuition and my kids were all saying, move to Coeur d'Alene. Then I tried to basically cut that off and say, nope, not going to happen. There's all these other things. Then all those other things lined up. The timing lined up. And I was like, okay, Jesus Christ. The one thing I was going to say wouldn't make it work, wouldn't make it feasible and possible. Yep, it works. The timing all lines up. You just got to not be a bitch. So trust your intuition and your timing. So for you, Tommy, with, I mean, music, um, the voice, all that stuff, luckily with um, the voice, you know, you had people who were pushing you to trust that intuition and that timing. And same thing, my wife and kids are actually pushing me to trust my intuition and timing. But when you were coming here, because I'm less concerned at this point with you making a life change, because for 11 years, there might have been different things that came up in the business, but you were doing the same thing. Yep. When you decided to change your entire life, what the fuck, what intuition, what signals, what things were you getting of like, this is the right move? I, honestly, I'll just circle back to, to the fear where everything in my head was telling me it was the wrong move. Okay. Right? And everything was telling me, dude, what are you doing? You're giving up on music. You're, you're just jumping back and forth between these different ideas because I have a tendency to get more excited about starting things than finishing them. Don't we all? Yeah. And, you know, I came and had that dinner with you and Kelly after mm -hmm. a DMD on Instagram, listen to this podcast, and, um, and it made sense, right? So the the way to face fear for me is make a plan, right? I go on my little Trello board and mm -hmm. I write it out. Mm -hmm. And I go pros, cons, and I, I have to look at it. And if you do that and you can make it make sense, it makes that fear subside just a little bit. But it, at the same time, it kind of gets louder because that resistance starts fighting fighting harder. Because you're looking at a list of cons. Yeah, you're literally looking at a list of cons. And that, that cons list can be so intimidating. Um, and that's when I literally just went, you know, the biggest thing for me was I was afraid of, honestly, people's reaction to me switching, mm. which is why I'm nine months into this just now coming out. Like a big mm. part of why I wanted to come here was to let people know, like, hey, I'm doing something else, but hey, I'm still doing music. Like, yeah. I ain't, music ain't going anywhere. I've got some grand plans for that. And this was just a perfect fit. It was a perfect fit. Um, but if you can find a way to to make those voices subside through whether, you know, your plan, whoever's listening to this is sit down and, and write out your pros and cons and then commit. Mm -hmm. Like you just got to make the decision because I, I feel like so many people just won't, they just paralysis by analysis kind of thing and mm. they won't just dive in, just dive in. Cause you, at some point you just have to dive in cause the cons ain't going anywhere. No. And the cons are terrible because as I talked about earlier, like 80% of our thoughts are negative. So 80% of you 
wants to side with the negative. If you have one con, that con is worth eight pros, 80%, right? So if you have one big con staring back at you, you will look at that con and you'll trust it. You'll be like, see, look at this big fucked up thing that's going to keep me from... You could have, again, eight, nine pros to that one con, and you're still, you're like, that cons list isn't empty. It's not, it's not all pros. Yeah, no shit. Nothing in life is all pros. But as you're looking at this thing that's staring back at you, like, you have to do your best. That's why you make the pro cons list. If you can just see more pros than cons, you just got to trust, like, this is going to be a good thing. Right, even though your mind, your heart, your body, your intuition's all like side with the cons, like <laughs> don't, bro, like just trust the intuition, trust the timing, and especially if it's not just intuition, because intuition is a feeling, right? Kelly asked me last night why I actually like jumped on board with the decision, and exactly what we're talking about. I felt the intuition, and I drew it all out. Mathematically, timing-wise, financially, it all makes sense. If I can make an idea make sense, but it doesn't feel right, I'm not going to do it. If a decision feels right, but I can't make it logistically make sense, I'm not going to do it. If it feels right, and I can logistically make it make sense, I still have my automatic negative thoughts and that cons list beaten at the back of my skull, but like I can literally be like, my gut wants to do it, it financially and timing wise makes sense. Like just lean in and do it. Right. And you did the same thing. So what you have to do, if you're trusting, uh, intuition and you're lining everything out and it makes sense timing wise, financially, all that stuff, that fear that we talked about is going to be staring you in the face. And all you can do is lean in for me. I do that thing where I'm like, Sit down, just like I do with my kids. Sit down, put your seatbelt on. We're going for a ride. Yep. Okay. That's how I deal with it. For you, like, what is your thing? It was a resistance thing of like, if you feel more fear, lean in. Um, but do you have like a thing that you tell yourself or like anything when those big moments of fear come up? It's literally just almost that thing you just explained is. It's hard to, to articulate it completely properly. Yep. But it's it's more of a feeling where you've got to find a way to shift when you feel fear to recognize that is positive. Mm. Yeah. Right? Like if I'm feeling fear, that means I'm heading in the direction of something that's gonna be good for me. Mm -hmm. My job is just to keep that fear shutting the fuck up. Not even shutting up. Yep. But just like embracing it and using it as a tool. It's a very interesting fear is meant to give you a negative feeling. And for you, it's about just reframing. Yeah. Primarily like, it's run away from the lion. Right. But in today's world, it's pet the lion. Yeah. I like that. Pet the lion. I might write that somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Dig it. You're the metaphor man. <laughs> yeah, apparently my team all tallies metaphors when I'm doing team meetings and then I've counted them so many times. Jokes about it behind my back. I had no fucking idea. <laughs> but if you're a listener of the show, apparently you might have a list of metaphors I've done too. My podcast editor laughs at me. Now Tommy's laughed at me about it. I'm like, fuck, is this a thing? 
Apparently it's a thing. We like the metaphors. I'm here. Hey, y'all. Sorry to have to interrupt the show, but it's time for a quick word from our sponsor, me. <laughs> As some of you may or may not know, I am the president and CEO of Divinity Group LLC, the supplemental insurance agency that pays for this entire show. I recorded this commercial to let you know that I'm looking for high-quality individuals to add to my team in 2023, and I think that quality individual could be, should be, you. Now, why would you want to work with me? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Are you the kind of person who likes flexibility of schedule, uncapped earning potential, weekly bonus cash, quarterly bonus stock, residual income, all expenses paid incentive travel, vested ownership in what you're building, unparalleled culture and community? <laughs> of course you are. And so am I. See, look how much we already have in common. <laughs> all right. So why would you want to learn from me? Also glad you asked. I'll give you five reasons. One, you're already listening to my podcast. So yeah, I've been doing this for five and a half years at a very high level. I'm the number one agent in the state of Montana. I'm one of the Flathead Valley's 20 under 40, and I want to teach you how to take control of your income. All right, look, if what I've said in the past 90 seconds has piqued your interest, then pink the link in the description to watch our recruiting video and reach out for some more info. All right, okay, all right. I'll shut up about what I do and get back to what it is that I do. Let's go! Love it. Uh, okay, so we trust the intuition. We line it out. We make a pros-cons list. We run the numbers. We run the timing. It all makes sense. We still feel the fear. We face the fear either by going, fear is good, pet the lion, or sit the fuck down. I know what you're here to do, and it's okay. I've got the driver's wheel. But the next one is that you've got to commit, right? Whatever it is that you're trying to do, it's going to take steps. It's going to take a process. Like, that was the thing that stressed me out the most. I'm like, I've got a team of 10 agents. We got two agents coming out of Sales Academy right now that I need to train which means I'm traveling, training, working. I'm running a huge training in two weeks with 14 agents, eight or nine of them who are not even my agents. The business, the podcast, my kids, homes, like there were so many things that could have been like, these are all the reasons to just say it's not the right time, right? But committing and going, it makes sense, I can do this. One of my favorite parables of all time is about burning the boats, which is what Tommy originally said. It was his first point when we were like, what do we want to bring to people? He's like, burn the fucking boats, right? The parable goes like this. Doesn't matter who the countries are, anything like that, but there was a country who was out on a war terror, taking over territories, right, and claiming them as their own. There was one remote island that they kept trying to take, and the warriors out there were fucking savages, so they would show up, they'd try to take the island, the islanders would run them off, they'd get on the boats, they'd go back home with their tails between their legs. They tried to take this island two, three times. The fourth time, captain didn't tell anybody what was about to happen. They get on the boats, they go to the island, the plan is take the island, but now everybody's pretty conditioned that, like, we're probably not going to take the island. Yeah, this is going to suck. We're probably going to show up, a couple of people are going to die, the rest of us are going to get on the boats, we're going to go home. That's our job, right? 
So that's part of the human brain's condition is like, especially if we've had one or two failures, your brain will just go, bro, don't get back on the boat. Like you're going to fail. Like it tends to happen. So the captain pulls the boats up on shore. Everybody gets off. Everyone's getting ready to go to take the island, go to war. The captain takes a torch and lights all the boats on fire and burns them into the ocean. And he goes, so boys, we have two choices. Everybody fucking dies or we take the island. Sure enough, they took the fucking island. They Let's go! They communicated back to the fucking fleet. They were like, hey, we took the island. Bring the boats. We're all fucking stuck here. Let's go. Everyone brings the boats. They take over the island. That's now one of their territories. You succeed when you burn the fucking boats and commit to plan A. If you have a plan B, you are fucked, right? Now, that being said, in Tommy's situation... He's not completely burning the ships on uh, the shore. He's burning a few of them and then going, this ship that I'm going to build is going to be able to hold enough supplies that now I can take these other ships with me. So sometimes the ships just need to be shifted, which is more of Tommy's scenario where, like, I'm completely comfortable saying this. I'm Tommy's plan B, right? He is going to use this, and 95, I'll be generous, 95% of insurance agents didn't fucking grow up going, I want to be an insurance agent. Nobody wants to be a fucking insurance agent, bro. <laughs> I, I would much rather be in the gym, period. This makes more sense, right? This someday will allow me to buy a gym so fucking big that I don't even have to charge memberships. If you want to come work out at fucking Divine's House of Pain, come fuck around Divine's with me. Divine's House of Pain. I like that. <laughs> Made that shit up right now. <laughs> <laughs> if Tommy wants to come here and build up a book of business in the next three to five years big enough to fund that original music idea where he can buy his own fucking bus and wrap it in fucking whatever he wants. Edward's music, Tommy Edward's music, blah, blah, blah. He wants to pay each one of his kids and his wife a salary to work on the bus and support the music dream. This is going to build the financial boat that allows him to sail the music thing, right? So sometimes it just means burning the boats for now and rebuilding them later. So what made you fucking burn the boats? Yeah, and I hope this, um, when you were going on your rant there, fuck, that was exciting. <laughs> um, <laughs> um you know, I, I I thought of this, and I hope it might be a value to you guys, where, yes, I still run, I'm running two businesses right yep. now. And through this, I've learned so many business tools that if if I would have had the tools that I've learned since coming and working with you, I probably would have never left music, because I would have run it more efficiently. Mm -hmm. um, but I've had lots and lots and lots of bad fucking weeks mm -hmm. doing this since mm -hmm. I started. Yep. And we are 100% sales commission salespeople. Yep. It's eat what you kill. Eat what you kill. And there have been several weeks where I haven't killed that much. And mm -hmm. I got a big fucking overhead. I took on a hundred grand in debt to go to the voice. Yep. And I got a $3,000 a month credit card payment. Mm-hmm. Right. It got slow. And I didn't have anything in the pipeline 
because I decided to go fly fishing a couple times with my family, <laughs> right? And then I'm like, oh, shit, I don't have any appointments. I don't have anything. And my go-to was always call up a couple bars and go book four, go book four gigs. Mm-hmm. Like, I can play four gigs. I can send out an email to the email list. I know people are going to come. Yep. And I can make 500 bucks four times in a week. Yep. I knew if I did that, I was fucked. Yep. I, just, I knew it. Yep. And I've had to fight off that urge so many times. And that burn the boats analogy literally is what flies through my head every time I go, you know what, you know what you need to do, Tommy, just go back to, go back to gigging. But I know it's not good for my family. But if I do that one fucking time, then all of a sudden it's real easy to do it again. Yep. Cause that becomes the new go-to. Yep. And instead it's go get in the car, go talk to another person mm-hmm. that doesn't want to fucking talk to you mm-hmm. until they do. And then, like yesterday, you put up $8,000 worth of business, make yourself $3,500 in a day. And that's just from showing up. Yep. And that's from showing up. Mm-hmm. Yep. And just trusting that this new boat that you're building is going to get the fucking job done. Same thing for me. Like, I just bought my first home. And, like, if you've listened to any of my other episodes, like, big, big deal for me, especially with how I grew up. It was my first time of, like, putting down roots. But... I have a VA loan. I have a powerful tool that most people do not have. I can go 0% down on a new home every year, every 12 months. I can refinance the previous loan, put a renter in there, buy a new home, 0% down. So Kelly and I made a plan. We're going to build a rental company as well by simply buying our family homes. I've now got comfortable in my fucking boat. Right? I like my house. I like my neighborhood. I like the kids in our neighborhood that our kids play with. Like, I fucking, I like it. It's a nice boat, right? Why the fuck am I going to go put myself back in a goddamn apartment and put somebody else in my house? Because that's the boat I'm on. I have to put somebody in that house as a renter so that we take care of that mortgage and we can move on to the next plan, right? But again, got comfortable. I don't want to burn that boat. But I got to, right? You've got to continue moving forward with the plan or you will end up stagnant like we talked about, like most people end up. So just burn the boats, bro. Like, burn them. It's not that big of a deal. What happens? You fucking fail horribly, horrifically. You go into some debt. Tommy just did that with the voice, right? And then what? You do something else for a year and you get to go back. You can always go back to whatever job you have. Everyone is hiring whatever position you're doing, I promise. Unless you're the president, everyone's hiring for what you do, right? Tommy, right? He's going to go back, right? And he's not, he hasn't even left, right? He's still doing shows. He's probably averaged two shows a week the entire nine months he's worked with me. Yep. Right? He's still doing it. But the long term goal to go back to is I don't want to go have somebody be like, yeah, you're going to do music, but you're going to do it this way. So I need enough money to build a boat myself. I need that money here. The money will build the boat. I can then go do what I want to do. And eventually this boat will be burned. But for now, this is the boat he's building. The other ones need to be burned. So commit to your plan, right? He mentioned this already when he was talking about fear the number one killer of dreams in our country is analysis paralysis. There are way more successful ideas in the graveyard than there are in the world. You hear it all the time. I had the idea for Uber. Well, you didn't fucking do anything with it. Now somebody else is a billionaire. 
right? Like you have got to avoid that analysis paralysis. And Tommy does that better than most people, right? Tell you a story. His very first phone, uh, cold call with me in this oh, business. That makes me crazy. <laughs> it's his first time doing something new, right? He knows all the information. He knows his demo. He knows his sales type. Like he knows what he's doing. And it's his first day going out with me to just drum up business. We're in a small town, Big Fort, Montana, where Tommy knows. I don't know if Tommy knows 80% of the people. 80% of the people know Tommy, right? Like sales is mostly trust. And if people recognize you and know you, they trust you, right? So Tommy walks in, first business, lady recognizes him. Oh, Tommy, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And we start talking and Tommy's doing his thing and he's chatting. And like three separate times, she's like, so what are you doing in here? And Tommy's like, oh, I'm not going to fucking bog you down with the details <laughs> and just starts talking personal shit again. I was, I was, I was shaking in my boots. Shaking, bro. And I'm like, my sitting, hands were shaking. <laughs> I'm sitting here watching and I don't say shit when I'm in the business with my agents. We talk about it afterwards. So I'm watching and I'm like, okay, that was a weird deflect. And then a couple minutes later, she does it again. So, Tommy, what are you doing in here? You're obviously not talking about music. And he, like, gestures over to me. He's like, oh, yeah, this is John. He's my new trainer, blah, blah, blah. But I'm not going to bog you down with the details. And, like, skirts it again. And I was like, okay. They keep talking, like, one more time. She's like, all right, Tommy, like, like what are you doing in here? And he's like, you know what? I'll just come back and talk to you about it another time. And we leave. I don't say anything. We get in the car. Close the doors. And I'm so, this moment right here, I'm so fucking glad for because defining moment in your career. He just like shook his head and he like looked over at me and he's like, what the fuck just happened in there? I was like, bro, I'm so glad you said it. Like, I, I don't know. Like that woman knew you. She was asking for the demo. She even told you they buy Aflac, like golden opportunity to just go, let me show you what I do. And he's like, fuck man, I have to walk back in there. And I was like, oh, God, thank you, Jesus. You're right. You do need to walk back in there because if you don't, fear has got you fucked for the rest of your career. And he turned his ass around, walked right back in there, and he's like, I am so sorry. No idea what just happened. I was freaking out. I froze. Can I please show you what I do? You asked about it like three, four times. We sat down, did the demo, left there. You've got a couple of clients in that business now. Yep. Um, but, like, there was this defining moment where he was in sh shocking analysis paralysis. Like, someone's literally telling him. I could not spit the words out. Please, do That's your job. I want to hear about it. I'm very excited. I like you. And he was like, ah, fucking can't. Like, in that moment. No confidence. It was so new. What was going on with you? And this moment is, I've, I've thought about this so many times. And what I think it boils down to was. I've spent the last 11 years doing something. Obviously, I wasn't confident at first, but I was good at it, and I knew what to do. Mm -hmm. And I know what to do. Mm -hmm. In music, I just show up. I show up. I, I know what to do. I know mm -hmm. where to put my hands. I know mm -hmm. the words that need to come out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. I, I'm comfortable. Mm -hmm. I was un-fucking comfortable. Mm -hmm. And Oh, it was so palpable, bro. <laughs> oh, my God. If you could see that on... You, I mean, you literally... I wish I would have been wearing a body cam. If that cam. was a YouTube video, it'd be viral. <laughs> At least in our business, bro, because so oh. many people go through the same thing. And now, nine months later, for people to see where you were, where you are, if they could see that call, 
they'd be like, there's no fucking way. That's Tommy. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was Tommy, bro. I was there. <laughs> but mo- so much more importantly is that, yeah, analysis paralysis hit you. Yeah. Hard. But as soon as you detached yourself from the actual situation and just got a little minute to, like, shake your head and, like, think about it, you were able to reanalyze. Well, it was it was all those things that analysis paralysis does to you, all of those preconceived notions that I had in my head just attacked me at once, right? You're coming from music. This lady knows you from music, and she's going to say, what? You're selling insurance? You're not doing music anymore? Like all those fears that I had in my head that weren't real. Mm-hmm. They just, they existed up here, mm-hmm. just up in your head. And I was just projecting them onto her. Mm. And I was expecting that. Yep. When it wasn't happening. Nope. It wasn't happening. In any way, she, shape, or form. She, told, she literally said, of course, I'll give you five minutes. Yeah. She was like, we're Three already times. painted Aflac. Yep. We might as well take a look at it. And you're like, no, you're fine. <laughs> but then you got in the car, and this is what I love about Tommy. Um, got in the car, shook it off, and was like, I cannot let this moment be this moment. I have to turn this moment into what something I say, else. This is going to haunt me for fucking ever. <laughs> yeah, and you were right. If you would have let that be that, yeah. I don't think you'd be here right now. I wouldn't. That one call of analysis paralysis was a defining moment, and everyone has it. The problem is most people let analysis paralysis win, right? And they're just like, oh, fuck, I'll never be able to. And they pause. That dream dies. So in this moment of analysis paralysis, the reason it's called that is like literally as human beings, the reason we've lived so long is we are the adaptation professionals of planet Earth. We know how to take something that we don't know, and then if we just lean into it, our bodies will adapt, whether it's climate, weather, being at the bottom of the ocean in a submarine, flying, like, we will adapt to that situation, and we will be able to work it. But everyone's going to have that moment of analysis paralysis. The problem is most people let it win. You shook it off in that moment, so, like, do you have any tips? Because I think... I mean, just in today's day and age with the speed of which things move, um, the short form content, everything, I think everyone has some level of anxiety. And that really is analysis paralysis. Like depression is you thinking of the past and wanting the present to be some version of the past. That's all depression is. Anxiety is looking forward to the future and going, I want to control this moment but you're here in the present. So by trying to make a future moment come true, knowing that you're in the present, unable to make that future moment come true, you feel anxiety. So you're either depressed looking back, trying to make the present like the past, or you're anxiety looking at the future, trying to make the present some version of the future that you see in your head. When really, if you can just recenter yourself back to the present moment, analysis paralysis really dies. You're like, what do I have to do right now? In that moment where you were in that call, you were looking at this future conversation with this woman that went like this. Oh, my God, you left music. What'd you do? Sell out? I'm so disappointed. Oh, my God. And you were like, I don't want to have that conversation. So I'm going to direct this conversation away from insurance 
because then I don't have to talk about quitting on music when that's not the conversation she was trying to have at all. Right. You were able to take a minute, separate yourself, shake it off, go, Oh, that's what happened. Go back in and live in the moment. And it was a scary moment for you, but you pushed through. It was. I shook halfway through the demo. You did. Your voice was shaky, like unconfident. She knew you were unconfident. I, but like you did the fucking thing. Yep. Right. So, all analysis paralysis is, is if I can give you guys one piece of advice, Jocko Willink and every other good military instructor teaches the same thing. You need to get a different perspective, right? You need to shift, look, pull out. You're looking at this situation too closely. Back out, get a different perspective on what's going on, which you did. Got in the car, shook it off, and went, oh, that's actually not happening. It's not who I want to be. Right. Yeah. Who I want to be is this guy who leans into these moments and then you turned around and leaned in. So really with analysis paralysis, if you guys can give yourselves the grace of a few moments of removing yourself from the situation, taking a look at it and going, what's actually happening here? Because it's probably not the world that you're actually projecting. And then you can go, oh, I can do that. Or I love what you just said. The person I want to be can do that. Right? So... In that moment, who was the person that you wanted to be? I wanted to be the guy that could walk in there and be honest with himself and that person, but at the same time, right? Mm. If that if that makes sense. Yeah. Where this was so brand new to me and I wasn't really, really confident in it yet. Like, not not the product, because I'd done all of that on my travel board. Yep. It was my ability to do what is our sales talk that's given to us. And, I mean, I read that thing and spit it out a 100,000 times. And you get in front of a person and every, just those, it's fucking fear, man. Where I'm like, oh, I'm not going to hit this part right. I'm not going to hit this right. This part right. Where if you can, you said it really well just a minute ago, shift to the present and just be available in that space and be honest with yourself and spit the goddamn words out. It's not that scary. What's interesting to me about that is like, that's literally what you did for 11 years. Yeah. You learned words to music. You got on stage in front of people and you spit them out, but literally just changing the words you were saying and the fact that a guitar wasn't in your hand, your brain went fucking crazy. It went nuts. And it's pretty much the same gig. It really is. Like, really, you're not singing, you're speaking. You're speaking a certain set of words, you're singing a certain set of words, and you're doing it in front of people. And honestly, like the only words that I'm feeling I can spit out right now that that feel a value is that that specific moment right there where you're feeling uncomfortable and scared. And like, I saw it happening. Just that ability to be intellectually honest with yourself, even if it's a few moments later Mm -hmm. and just observe and go, that was horseshit. (laughs) That was horseshit. Yep. Right. And then 
and then just fucking go back in there. Like I, I feel pride in that moment because I, because I was able to do that because it was everything in me wanted to jump out of that car mm-hmm. and jump at. I just, I had to get out of that space, mm-hmm. and it doesn't make any sense when you boil it down, because like you said, she was begging me to show it to her, mm-hmm. and I've watched many people. Yeah. jump in that moment and just be like, fuck this and not do it. So yeah, that's why you're the one on this podcast about making big life changes is because despite it's hard, all that it's shit, fucking hard. Of course it is. Like, and it's been hard since then. Yeah. I've had other moments like that where I didn't shut down quite as much, but mm-hmm. through repetition, if you just don't let that evil bastard win, mm-hmm. you just, you just keep trucking. Yep. You just can't, I mean, it sounds cliche and you've heard it everywhere, but don't give up, man. Don't give up. We call it stick and stay, make it pay here. Yeah, like, it's just nothing can, it can't hurt you unless you let it win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've got agents that have come here on my team and on other teams who embarrass me and my team in production, but they quit a year in, a year and a half in, two years in, and so it doesn't fucking matter. Now I'm the one here six years later with an insurance agency with all these agents across all these states doing these things, literally... The thing I've done differently is I just don't fucking quit. I just keep waking up the next morning, calling my leaders, being like, fuck, man, this sucks. What do I do now? How do I have this conversation? Like, just keep showing up, right? So the next thing, if you can get through that analysis paralysis and it starts becoming a real thing, you have got to clearly communicate with everyone involved when we... Good friends. (laughs) Yeah. When we initially talked about this, Tommy said, make sure your spouse is on board. And yes, that's important. But like for me with our move, we could have made that decision and moved and then told our daughters who spend half their time at their dad's house and we're making, they're going back to their dad's tomorrow and we're moving the next day. So we could have made this decision, moved our whole lives. And then two weeks from now, when our girls come back, they could have come back to Coeur d'Alene instead of Kalispell. And like, we're the adults. We pay all the bills. Like, yeah. who knows what they'd have thought about that? Or yeah, get on board, kid. Oh, we have to leave my friend. This is what the family's doing, right? But my kids are nine and eleven now, and they're homeschooling. Like, their life is really tied to ours. It's not so much tied to their friends and their school and all that stuff. So with us, it was Kelly had the idea, gave it to me. We talked to the kids. The kids were with us in Coeur d'Alene. We drove around, looked at neighborhoods, and they were like, "Yeah." Right. Then we called their dad and we were like, hey, it doesn't really change anything for you. We're the exact same distance away from Missoula. But this is a change that we're thinking about making. It could affect the girls, which would affect you. Like and he was on board. He's like, bro, if this benefits your guys's family and it doesn't affect me other than I drive to Ron- um, uh, St. Regis instead of Polson. Great. So then. We talked to him. Then we had to be like, okay, we have a home, which means we need to talk to a property manager because I'm not fucking taking that responsibility on. We talked to him. Does this look like a good idea? He's like, absolutely. So we talked to so many people before making that decision because every single person that could be affected by that, we either need to know that they are going to be affected by that and that um, it's something that we don't want to do because they're going to be affected or it's something that they're going to be affected. They're not happy about it, but like it's going to happen. We just thought we would talk to you about it first so that you're prepared. But the worst thing in my opinion that you can do is make this decision that involves other people, make it do it. And then just be like, 
well, sorry, this is what we're happening is what's happening. I think that's what causes divorce or children to be mad at their parents or business partners to end up splitting the business. Like everyone wasn't communicating and on board and anyone who wasn't on board didn't have a chance to voice their opinion of why. And like as the CEO of my company and why I'll never give over majority uh, voting rights is like I will bring up whatever to everyone involved with my business and I will let people voice what they think, especially my wife, who's my number one business partner. But if I know that this business decision is something we need to make, voice all your opinions, but at the end, we're fucking making this decision. So you've got to be on board with the train if we're going. So part of that is like... There has to be a leader of the ship. There has to be a leader. Because if there's not, you guys are just going to play tug-of-war and nothing's ever going to happen. So there has to be someone that has like and say whether it's in the business they're the ceo in the family like there's always a logical and an emotional like kelly gets to voice all kinds of things but i'm the logical person like i will always voice the reason of logic and we'll talk about that so there has to be somebody that steers the ship it's a good way to balance though but everyone's got to be on the ship yep. like if somebody fucking falls overboard you're fucked so how was that conversation with brianna about like i'm gonna do this commission only business for sure. It was scary. She was skeptical as she should be. Yes. Um, where all she's known is what I've, what I've done. Mm -hmm. That works. To say she wasn't excited about the prospect of me being around more. Cause yeah. that girl is a fucking saint. Like just anybody listening in that's been a fan, like say thank you to Brian Edwards at some point. <laughs> Because there's zero chance I could have done any of this without that woman. Any stay-at-home moms. Yeah, I mean, she just she just handled everything. She just yeah. let me go do my thing, and handled. I didn't think about anything else. She just handled it. And coming into this, obviously, she was excited at, about the prospect of me being around more, being home at night, getting some help around the house. Um, and I remember first talking about it, and... She was excited, but she's also like, I see how you run your other business. <laughs> you going you gonna do you gonna do this? <laughs> this is like this sounds hard. <laughs> good on her. Yeah. Good on her. I, I love that. She knows me. Good. Right? Good. Where I am just the ADD, ADHD poster child and yeah. I see something exciting and shiny and mm -hmm. hard and let's figure it out. And I just run at it mm -hmm. until I'm like, oh, this sucks three months later. Yep. And nothing's been done. Mm -hmm. Um that's that's not totally fair, but um, we talked about it, and I remember laying in bed going, "I think, I think this could give us more time together, time for us to work on us, and because relationships are hard, hard. Being a fucking parent is the hardest thing I've ever done, especially a parent and an entrepreneur. Yeah, because your business is another baby. It's it feels like four. Yeah, right, and." She was a little scared as well, like, okay, the prospect or the idea of you being home more sounds good, but you're still doing the other business, so what, now you're running two businesses? Right. Is this, is this, you're telling me you want to be, you want to be home more, be around more, but now you're just starting another business. Right. Which I've already started three other ones in the mm -hmm. course of this, and rightly skeptical. Yep. Um, it wasn't until... Um, 
you know, I got involved with you in this business and started seeing some of the tools that we use. Um, and even seeing the way you, you lead your family, like I learned a lot going just how important it is to sit down and I didn't even realize that my kids took value in knowing like, Hey, this is what I'm doing this week. Mm -hmm. And this is my schedule. And this is, this is my plan. And fucking kids need structure mm -hmm. before it was just this flowy thing. Right. But we just, we did shit and I let them come to gigs and we never really made a schedule. I started doing this job and, and it required if I'm going to run two businesses to actually get on my iPhone calendar and plan out my days and set expectation for everyone and also set goals and reward systems. Mm -hmm. like, man, if dad goes out and does this, like it's going to be a grind, right? Like I'm going to be gone all day and I'm probably going to be late for dinner because this is brand new, mm -hmm. but then I'm going to be home and we're going to go on a three day float trip. We're going to go to Silver Mountain. We're going to go do these things and, and getting them to buy in. And that system has been, well, I don't use it as much as I'd like to. Mm -hmm. When I do, God damn, does it work and that family feels connected. Mm -hmm. And on that, Tommy just won his family a trip to Mexico a week ago, two yes, weeks ago. Did. Yeah. Puerto Vallarta. Just qualified himself. And that's part of why we do incentive trips here at this company is to tell agents, tell your family. Let them know I am going to work, but there's this trip that I'm going to win and I'm going to take all of us on a week long trip to Mexico. You know how fucking easy it is to get your family, if they like travel, to be like, hey, you come home at night, it's 4.30 and they weren't expecting you till 5.30 because you shared your calendar and they know that you being out till 5.30 means that there's possibly a trip to Mexico at the end of that. Now, when you come home at 4.30, typically the family's like, yay, dad's home, he's home early, blah, blah, blah. All the way down to like probably around a six or seven-year-old, if they understand that you being at work could mean Silver Mountain, Mexico, Disneyland, yeah. Disneyland, now when you come home early, if they know time and stuff and they look at the clock and you're here, they're confused and they're like, why the fuck are you home early, yeah, you dad? you shit to do, dad. Aren't we going to Mexico, or was that just bullshit? Yeah. And then you're like, fuck. I guess I'll be back in an hour. Yep. See you guys at 5.30, and you go back out for an hour, um, and maybe you make a sale, maybe you don't, but your family is bought in to this is what the family needs to do to get the family to these goals. But what happens is we operate as individuals. This is what dad's got to do. This is what mom's got to do. This is what you got to do. And if we all do what we're supposed to do, the family will work together. No, the family needs cohesion, right? So just communicate clearly with all involved party parties all the way down to children My at three, I would say down to about four years old, right? Under four, like there's no real conceptual and it's just, this is the way life is. This is my home. This is my bed. This is my whatever. But after about four, while they'll temper tantrum, if they're not happy, they kind of get it right. So just fucking communicate with everyone. And then the last one that we have here. Whew, we talked about trust your intuition at the beginning, trust the process here at the end, right? Because there is a process and you likely don't fucking know it. You don't know the map. You don't know how to do it. You don't know where you're going. You just got on the ship, but 
There is a process. There is a way to drive the ship. There is a way to turn the rudder. There is a certain way to mass the sails there. And someone in this fucking world that you just jumped into, someone knows how it works, right? Like Tommy said, he read books and books and books and books on the music industry and how to build a music business. He came over to me. He was like, what do I do? We put him through the schooling. He learned all the schooling. We gave him the process and the sales talk and he learned it and he calls me and he's like, hey, how do I set up? this type of enrollment, how do I do? And through the process, you learn and it works, right? Another quote about entrepreneurialism that I love is entrepreneurs throw all the parts for the plane off the cliff. They jump down after the parts without a parachute and they start assembling the plane while they're falling. And hopefully before they die and plummet into the ground beneath, they've got that fucking plane built. They get inside and then they learn how to fly, right? So you have to trust the process. You're not going to have the plane built and gone to pilot school and know how to fly the plane at a commercial level. Like, you're not. I want to give you shit about metaphors, but they're fucking good. <laughs> that was a good one. It was a good one. Appreciate the love. <laughs> so you got to fucking have faith, man. Like, Tommy, when he was like, I guess we'll fucking go to the voice like i'm sure he even said it like he thought it was a scam he was like this isn't a real fucking email right and then it was a real email and then he was like okay well this isn't real and then it was real and then he was like well i don't have the money and then somebody's like i'll pay for you to go like just... i said to brianna we shouldn't do this i mean at least 30 times i've said that to kelly about this move five or six times in the last seven days like are you really this is what we're doing are we dumb so trust the process, right? I can tell you Tommy has trusted the process here. Obviously, he trusted the process in the music world. He ended up on The Voice, right? But 11 years ago, Tommy didn't know he was going to be on The Voice when he booked that first gig. You can't see the fucking end. You can only get to the end, look back, and go, oh, look at all those fucking puzzle pieces, right? So trust the process and have faith what allows you, because, dude, from 18 years old, you just trusted that music would work. Nine months ago, you trusted this would work, and you're the number 30 ranked agent in the nation. Like, where does your trust and faith come from? When I first started, I, you know, I don't know. I just, I just fucking sent it. <laughs> I fucking love it, bro. Full send. At the beginning. Like, I just seen an opportunity to come up, and if I got excited about something, mm. typically nothing would stop me, and I would just I would just send it. It's the ADHD, follow the dopamine. Yeah, and that's where, but I would send it for small periods of time, and then as soon as it got to the suck, it was on to the next exciting, shiny thing. Now, it's... I won't claim for a second to have a goddamn thing figured out, mm -hmm. but through enough mornings at the gym, time in the car, where I'm just trying to fill my head with a, en enough and as much information about people that are doing cool things in the world that have built good systems for themselves, what's working for them, and I'm, I'm obsessed. And... I like to think I'm starting to form the tools that we've been talking about where it's, you see fear come up? Yeah, that's good. You're going to do something? You better send it. Mm -hmm. But 
like send it to the suck point and then send it fucking harder. Um, and I mean, I could literally just read that six list, trust intuition and timing, face your fear, commit, burn the fucking boats, avoid analysis paralysis, clearly communicate with your family and the people around you and then have some fucking faith mm-hmm. because buckle up because <laughs> it's not going to be easy. And all of those things are going to continue to pop up. And then you got to build the tools for yourself and be honest enough with yourself to realize that you're human and the suck is not going to stop. Mm-mm. And maybe that's just the meaning of life is do hard shit. Fuck. Yeah, it is, bro. <laughs> yeah, it is. Do hard shit. Um, and I love that, bro. But, uh, I think for me and you, uh, I don't know many people that have worse ADHD than me. Tommy's one of them. <laughs> Hi. Uh, <laughs> but us ADHD people, we don't do good with shit that doesn't stimulate us. Um, if there's no stimulation, there's no dopamine. If there's no dopamine, I'm not going to do it. Um, and so something that ADHD people have with their hyper-focus is we only get hyper-focused if we like something and we only like something if there's a dopamine hit tied to it. Um, and so as Tommy takes a hit of his fucking vape pen... <laughs> dopamine my vice right so we chase things that have dopamine and most purposeful things like he said with music he just feels it right with this career for me like what it does for my family releases a shitload of dopamine the financial freedom that we've had the time freedom that we've had taking them to a new beach every quarter like that shit lights up the dopamine inside of me so i can chase that dopamine right um so if you are gonna chase something my advice would be everyone says follow your passion i say follow the dopamine right because you can find dopamine where there's not passion as you heard in the last um episode uh actually two episodes ago motivation um where i actually talk about dopamine it is just a biological system given to us to help us chase down things that um matter to us so like if i need to eat and there's food way out there I will not go chase that food down. So there is a biological system that goes, if you start chasing that and you get through these little checkpoints, we're going to give you dopamine and that's going to make you feel good. And then that's going to make you want to chase that food harder. So when I say chase the dopamine, I'm literally talking about biology, like find something that makes you feel like you're doing something, that you're chasing something, that you're accomplishing something, that you're providing something. Like for Tommy, music's about providing a service, right? He sings and people feel, right? And we're pretty fucking numb culture, right? That gives him dopamine. The music gives him dopamine. The feeling he gives to people gives him dopamine. Providing this service and getting time freedom with his family and being able to go to Silver Mountain and Disneyland and Mexico with his family, that gives him dopamine. So find things that release that dopamine that you can chase um, and just have faith that on the chase, you're going to get there. You're going to kill the gazelle. You're going to get the prize. You're going to get the job. You're going to get the deal. You're going to get on the voice. You're going to just fucking have faith because that's the fear, right? Oh my God, doesn't matter. It's going to work right? Have faith. So Tommy already recapped, um, those six points to wrap it all up. My man, what does being a healthy, wealthy people person, excuse me, what does being a healthy, wealthy person mean to you in your life and your family? Being a healthy, wealthy person. Do hard shit. 
<laughs> make your plan. Done. Do hard shit. I hate to I hate to make it so simple, but <laughs> I love that it, you made it that simple. It keeps coming up. Just do the difficult things that are presented to you and wealth to me is a means to an end to spend that time with the people that are important to me and my kids especially to go on that journey myself and try and figure it out enough to look them in the eyes and I think the moral of the story is nobody really knows um, and through that process of doing hard things and setting your goals, chasing them. You find this place where you every now and again can lay your head on the end of the pillow or lay your head on your pillow at the end of the day and go, I made my list of my goals, what I'm chasing, and I did the hard things that it took me to get there. And I can look my family in the eye and go, that's all I got. Mm-hmm. And... There might be some peace there. Love if any of you guys figure it out, call me and let me know. Yeah, no doubt. For sure on that one. Dude, beautifully put. I mean, choose the chicken and broccoli over the donuts. Choose the run over the couch. Choose time with your family over time at the bar. Like, just do hard shit, right? Like, it's never the easy thing that we want to do that ends up being rewarding. Just do the fucking hard shit. Love that. Bro, thank you. For coming on, talking about big life changes, your trip with the voice, coming on to work with us here at uh, Divinity Group and Global Life Family Heritage, giving people some hope um, and some faith, hopefully, that they can make a change and it will work for their family as well. And to the 56 million of you out there listening that are dissatisfied with your work, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't at all so i'm going to leave um a couple of links in the bio as always go check out our career overview video maybe we can provide you a tool to build the life you want as well because it's worked for me it's worked for tommy it's worked for for eddie mayfield who you've heard from um and i know it can work for you so thanks for joining us today and i'll catch you right back here in two weeks for another episode of the healthy wealthy people podcast peace All right, y'all, we have reached the inevitable end of today's episode. But before we go our separate ways, I just want to take this moment to say fucking thank you. Thank you for investing your listening time with me when there are literally millions of other artists whose content you could be consuming. Your support means more to me than I can effectively put into words, which is why I'm going to ask you for one favor before we put a bow up on this bitch. If you have found any value in the show, there are three free ways you can help us grow. One, follow and or subscribe so you never miss another episode. Two, rate the show so other listeners can see just how motherfucking good our content is. And three, take a screenshot of this episode, tag me at John Divine Inc. and share it with your followers so that they have the same access to information that you do. Now get out there and enjoy the pursuit of the healthiest, wealthiest, most authentic version of yourself, and I'll see you right back here in two weeks for another Healthy Wealthy Wednesday.